We're going to jump right in on today's session of understanding the self-concept of Jesus. Abba Father, thank you so much for each person that's here and the way you show love and grace to me. Uh, so glad that Jan is back and she's doing well. Ask for a lot of grace and wisdom right now, please. Open up our eyes. Open up our ears to see and hear and understand you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, today's going to be about understanding the self-concept of Christ. If you could get inside his heart, get inside his head, what would you see? What would it be like in there? Well, fortunately, in the Gospel of John and some other writings, we have about 17 I am statements. I am statements. In Greek, it's ego eimi, which is I am. It's exactly what it means. I am the door, etc. It's based on the old Hebrew uh, reference in, in Exodus 3 that God is the great I am. And in Hebrew, you pronounce I am Yahweh, which is the memorial name of God. Some scholars say possibly Yahweh, but consensus tends to be it's Yahweh. That's his name. And so when, when Jesus gets a chance to make an autobiographical comment about himself, he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd, etc." All right. It, when, you, when you look at this stuff, it reveals a lot about his character. In other words, he settled it. So as, if we say, Jesus, what's your, you know, who are you? It's, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm still just, I'm trying to figure it out. You know. No, that is not what he would say at all. He was absolutely convinced who he was and what his purpose in life was. And you can see that in the I am statements. Okay, now let's get real specific here. We're going to dig on, on this part. We're going to look at the self-concept of Christ as revealed in, uh, in other scriptures besides the I am statement. So watch this. Luke 3. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Okay, I want to make a comment about almost everybody on my caseload. I've got 35 scheduled appointments uh, a week, and I'll probably average about 40, because there's always an emergency of some sort, somehow, right? So I'm talking about almost every single person on my caseload. Guess what? They don't know what it's like to have a parent that says, I love you, you make me happy. I love you, you make me happy. They don't know what that feels like. That's exactly what Jesus got from his father. You're my beloved son, I love you. And in you I'm well pleased, you make me happy. Boy, when a little boy, when a little girl gets that, it can create stability, it can kind of anchor their soul, it can, it can communicate this idea that they're worthy of something. I had one dear client some time ago, spent almost 18 months until she finally could admit that she had permission to have emotions. <laughs> it took that long to get her to the place where she could finally give herself permission to admit that she had permission to have anger, to have feelings of joy, 
because she was so detached from herself emotionally because of the trauma that she'd been through, right? Can you imagine? Now, remember, children believe as mom and dad behave. So something really beautiful comes out. You ready? Jesus starts his work as an adult. He starts his ministry from a platform of acceptance and approval. He doesn't start it from a platform of desperation. I've got to earn God's acceptance. What a way to start. It's like God's giving his son grace before it all starts. What a beautiful idea. Mark 17, uh, Christ heard some things and he said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. And this next one, oh my goodness, it's huge. When they saw him, Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary had been desperately looking for their son at the age of 12. They finally find him in the temple. They were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that they had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. And this is stature and character, not stature and height. And wisdom and in character and in favor with God and men. Now, question. You ready? What do you think the relationship is between Jesus? I'm sorry, back up here. Between Jesus, I'm getting my clicker going, returning in submission to his parents and him growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Think there's a relationship? What do you think? It says in the Bible, if you obey your parents, it will go well for you. Something's going on, right, Jay? Something's going on. Okay, she beat you to that one, Kane. I just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> you keep attached to that? Give you a chance, give you time. So. Oh, it's coming. It's just coming. wait. <laughs> you, have you haven't been prayed for until she prays for you, okay? Just let me know. Um, so here's what's interesting notice the contrast. Jesus says, what, what do you mean you're looking for me? Don't you know I had to be in my father's house about the business of my father? Sounds to me like he's making a break with mom and dad. Sounds to me like the game has changed. I am no longer under your authority. I'm now going to switch over here and be under God's authority. That's what it sounds like. What, what, are you, what are you worried about me for? Didn't you know I had to be about my dad's business? Okay, which is going to be not so much ear candy to Joseph at that point. And, and then you get this peculiar switch. He just said, I'm making a break with you. I'm under God's authority. But then it says, but he returns in submission to him or to mom and dad and goes back to Nazareth and then increases in wisdom and stature and character in favor with God and men. Wow. Guess what? The men and women too who have a chip on their shoulder. They're grudge holders, chip on the shoulder, bitter. You cannot stand authority. You can't stand someone having authority over you and literally telling you what to do and putting an expectation on you. If you're that chip on the shoulder girl, chip on the shoulder guy, it is, I'm telling you, it's going to mess with your relationships. It's going to disturb your growing in wisdom. It's going to disturb the formation of character inside of you, and it's going to be awfully hard to get along with people in God. There's something genius 
about learning to be a man under authority. There's something genius about learning to be a woman under authority. <coughs> and if that has not formed, I think it's going to do this, have this blunting, stunting uh, effect on growing and maturing. All right. Uh, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As a hero judge, my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 5, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they testify about me and prove that, that the Father sent me. John 5.44, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? You don't seek the glory that's from God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe. But so that you may know I understand the will of the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus Christ is one with the Father. Okay, just a few more here. John 12. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. John 14, 31. And so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. John 59. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. John 16. This is amazing. He's, he's been with the disciples. He's been teaching them. And they're vowing all, kind, all kinds of loyalty. We, we will follow you to the end. And he said, really? Behold, an hour is coming. It's already here. You will be scattered each to his own house and you will leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Some people are afraid of being alone. Jesus wasn't because his, his level of intimacy with the, with the Father was so pro pro profound that he realized he never was alone to begin with. Never alone. Let's do some summary work here. Based on Luke 3, Jesus believed his father was pleased with him even before the ministry began. In other words, Jesus started his adult ministry from a conviction of acceptance and approval, not from a burden of trying to gain approval in order to be accepted. Jesus believed he saw himself as a healer called to the spiritually sick. He understood that being under authority was in direct proportion to increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is big. He believed his will was not as important as the will of his father. He believed that his father sent him to accomplish work and that his work, what he did, proved his true character, his true nature. Jesus believed that the reputation and glory of God was more important, or was the most important concern of his life. This is, this is intense. Jesus believed his conscience was so clear and his obedience to the Father so complete that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Now, quick story about Mark 4. This is Mark's tradition on the, the storm that's on the sea and the men in the boat. And you have the scene where Jesus is asleep on the cushion. Uh, in Mark's gospel, it records that the ministry was so intense that they didn't have time to eat. So he's working from sunup to after sundown, 
There's no time to eat. He's exhausted. He's hit a point of exhaustion. And they finally are going to get in the boat to the other side of the lake. And he's so tired, he falls asleep in the boat. Now, because of the geography, a front can go across the plain near the lake, go over the mountains, and literally come slamming down on top of the lake. It's an unusual geographic area and causes unusual weather patterns on the, the Sea of Galilee. And I'm telling you, the lake can get hammered by a storm in just minutes. And if you're out there in the boat, Matt, it's intense and you're stuck. You, you, you just can't row to shore real quick. He is, uh, the, the waves are so bad, it's coming over the bow of the ship. Okay? He's in, uh, asleep in the stern, right? Do you think he's soaked in water at this point? Do you think it's up to his ankles? You know, he's kind of laying sideways. Do you think he's half submerged? Possibly, uh, the, if the waves are coming over the bow of the ship where he's sleeping, he is soaking wet and yet enjoying a good sleep. <laughs> okay? And then the guys get scared, wake him up, don't you care? He wakes up, he says, where's your faith? Calms the sea. Just, uh, just want, you to, want you to bear up under this for a bit. Do you realize that if Jesus Christ's conscience was that clear, and his obedience that complete that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen God, guess what? Then he was acting very godlike by not panicking during the storm. He was revealing the character of God by being able to sleep during the storm. Just as much as he was showing the character of God when he woke up and calmed the storm. John 10, Jesus believed he was so emotionally secure in his own identity, he didn't force or manipulate people into believing in him. He had to force anybody to do it. He didn't walk around with his heart in a cup saying, please make me feel good about me. Please, would you do it? Would you do it? Please, somebody believe I really am the Messiah. Come on. I'm doing all this nice stuff for you. Please believe. Please. He didn't do that. He didn't hand his heart to anybody and say, please make me feel good about me. He didn't do it. John 10, he believed that he was in the Father and the Father in him. Wow. Jesus was convinced he was completely and perfectly loved by the Father. And he believed he was always in, in his Father's presence, so therefore really never actually alone. Okay, here's a summary version of that. I know that's a lot of stuff on the screen, but, I, but before I turn this over to you guys, I want you to... Uh, to just have that as a visual in front of you. Okay, so here's my questions for you right now. Regarding the I am statements, okay, and it's good for us to settle the fact that no, nobody here should be the next Messiah. Okay, that, we're not talking about that, all right? But what if you used your name? What if that's like Lee? I am, uh, my name is Lee, I am blank. What would you say? Can you say you're a door? Meaning Lee actually helps people find their way to God? What's in your blank? Your, your sense of identity, your sense of self. My name is Jessica. I am blank. What would you say? Do you have that settled? Do you know who you really are? And what if you took the love of God seriously? What if you, what if you de developed the esteem of Christ to the point that Jesus did, what would be different about your life?
Would you be threatened by authority? Would an authority ruin your day? <laughs> you know, Boy, and I know what that feels like. You're the gifted body of Christ. There are people here who've been gifted in wisdom, discernment, encouragement. If following Jesus is repeating his words, replicating his actions with his heart motives, and Christ's esteem is seeing and valuing ourselves the same way Jesus saw and valued himself, then do you realize that he is setting the example for us? That this is what we've got to settle? Why would we halt between two opinions? I'm going to be about my business, or I'm going to be about the business of my Father. You're the body of Christ. Care for yourselves. Take ownership here. Maybe there's a question. Why does this matter? And how does the esteem of Jesus Christ absolutely change our lives? This is the quietest you've been in a long time. I'm feeling fine. I'm very secure in this moment right now. Church <laughs> uh, David? Doesn't that lift the burden on us? Interesting. What do you mean? <coughs> because of this, we are no, long, no longer under uh, the burden of having to perform mm-hmm. of our own will. Mm-hmm. Because we cannot... No. Yeah. But it's because of Christ. Yeah. In us that Mm -hmm. we get to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we live in a world today that tells you all the time that you need to perform. Mm -hmm. Metrics, sales, percentages, yields, whatever. Life by the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Anna? So it doesn't really answer your question, but I've been reading this book, and it's been talking about, like, how, like, Jesus can only be, like, it's like I am, or God was like, right. I am, and then there's nothing. Like, he doesn't have to fill in the blank. <clears throat> Good. Because there's everything. And, like, sometimes we fill in the blank with things that, like, aren't of him. And so, like, when we try to think of, like, I am, you shouldn't have to fill in that blank. You shouldn't have to say, like, I'm unworthy, I'm unqualified, I'm mm-hmm. not something because God's like, I am this, not I am not. Yes, good, and good, so, good, good. So, okay, Anna, so let's push it to the logical conclusion. So if I am in Christ, right, and, I, and, and me and Jesus are one, I'm born again, then do I not take on his identity? Absolutely. Then it's settled. Right, it's supposed to be. Then it settles. Look what it's settled. Look at the message that it cleans up. Just that one. So that I can say, I am loved in him. And what a burden that's lifted, Dave. 
Absolutely, Anna. Absolutely. And I don't have to try to compensate. Uh, real quick, real quick. You know in the garden, uh, it's a perfect scenario. We can't blame mom for anything, right? Eve couldn't blame her mother for anything, right? Nobody can blame a parent. It's Adam and Eve. It's a perfect scenario. And it, the psychology of temptation is brilliant, what Satan does. Brilliant, okay? So the serpent slimes in and, hey, Eve. And he creates the idea. This is fascinating. He creates the idea that Eve is being cheated out of something. Look, I know you got it good. I, I know you're into papaya. I know it's great here. You got it good, okay? Mangoes are wonderful, you know, all that stuff. But did you know that God actually is holding out something on you? And he teases her with the, with the idea that there's a deficit, that there's something missing. And if she'd only had that, she'd be happy. Do you understand that is the psychology of temptation? I mean, there it is. There it is, right? You're nodding your head. You get it. Because all, you have basic biological, psychological slash emotional you have spiritual needs, right? And when they're not being met, you feel a deficit. And if you feel a deficit long enough and deep enough, guess what you do? You will compensate. You will compensate. You'll find something to deal with the pain of loss and the, the idea that you're being cheated out of it. Did you know what I've just described is the basic psychology behind the marketing system of the United States of America. After all, this bud's for you. <laughs> Tough week, huh? Tough week. Hey, I understand. I get it. This bud's for you. Jane? This is a big deal for me right now. I don't, a lot of people don't know. I had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy in November. My self esteem took it below. Sure. I went into, I mean, I was depressed. It was, didn't want to look in the mirror. Everything was weird. It's, and I, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, it's been a really difficult time. And my husband, who's not here today, continually told me, Christ does not see you any differently. Wow. I do not see you any differently. Mm. You <coughs> see you differently. You see yourself on the outside. Nothing has changed on the inside. Mm. I went highs and lows and highs and lows, and I, started getting back in the Word, and everywhere I looked, God would tell me, this is just outside, this is temporary, stop, you know, and I find I'm here today because I just, I have to, I had to stop, because I was going down, I was, I'm not going to be, I wasn't pretty for a few weeks, but Christ's esteem makes the highs and lows level. Mm. Wow. And so, um, yeah. that's where I am now, is trying to stay on level. And not look in the mirror and say, this is who I am. It's not who I am. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes perfect it's, sense. It's been yeah. a hard road. Absolutely, This, this applies perfectly today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jan. No accident that you're here. I guess not. Yeah. Can we get real personal just for a bit? And if we're not careful, and this is like, this is secret stuff here, right? We reduce ourselves to a particular body part. Is it big enough? Is it small enough? I've got hips like a barn, you know, or why did God make me short? You probably didn't notice that. You overlooked it, I know. But, <laughs> what's up? You know? 
If I were just a little tall, I just want to reach the mug. <laughs> I don't want to be like Marley and look down on the little people. But some of the greatest people in the Bible were short people. Yes. Gideon was short. Yes. And he was a mighty man. And Bildad was a shoe height. And I mean, that's... So, Small. But you know, sometimes God uses people that are smaller or weak to show show him show people how great and mighty that he is. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That, well, since I'm talking, let me just <laughs> Since you're in the neighborhood. <laughs> so I mean I just felt I felt compelled to, to say that. Um, identity. It's probably the one thing we're all looking for. Yes. <clears throat> and, oh, my voice is coming back. I'm so thankful I got to talk. <laughs> She's um, lost her voice for a couple of days. Can you imagine? Where the world, that's why, the world puts a label on us. And yes. we're chasing something that does not exist that's temporary. Yes. yes. We're chasing skin color, height, stature, Money. intelligence. <laughs> we're chasing all these things that are temporary. That's a temporary high for us. And when it fails, we fall with it. That's right. And we have nowhere to look. And so as I, as I look at this, that's why it's so important to understand that, understand Christ's character. That he is everlasting. Yes. And he keeps going. He never fails. Always there. But the, that's why the world puts everything, gives us something that's temporary. That only dulls the pain. For a moment, but Christ offers something that's everlasting, that never fails. And so, when we find that when we're honest with ourselves, mm. really honest, honest with how we feel, what we experienced, that opens a door for Christ to come in and become what we're missing. <clears throat> but as long as we pretend like everything is perfect or great, we will never be satisfied. We'll always be longing for something that only Jesus can fulfill. Mm. And so that's what he showed me in my life. That I, I, my dad, I wanted him to love me. And I had to love him for the man that he was and not the man I wanted him to be. My Say mom, that again. Say that again, please. That was really good. I had to love him for the man that he was. Not the man that I wanted him to be. Absolutely. That's freedom in that. Yes. And I put my mom on this pedestal and I found out that she wasn't. But then I had to turn around and love her for the woman that she was, not the woman that I thought that she was. Mm. And so all of this craziness and nonsense, Jesus was right there mm -hmm. giving me hope and patience and courage and things I couldn't give myself. Mm. Only he could fill the void of the disappointment of my parents, the disappointment of my life, my self-esteem issues. But first and foremost, we're honest where it hurts. Yes. When we're honest with, it may be angry, it may be mad, and God can handle all of the burdens that, we're, that we have. It doesn't offend him. He's not mad at you because when you start to do that, the enemy has to let you go and Christ can come in and then that transformation begins to happen but not until you're honest mm -hmm. with yourself. You've got to deal with it. Kind of thank you. Thank you. Listen from, this is Luke 16. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed, Jan, that which is highly esteemed among men, a woman's figure, is detestable in the sight of God. 
the things that are highly esteemed among men, detestable in the sight of God. And we, we reduce ourselves and define ourselves by some of the craziest stuff. Illogical. It's as though we are putting gods before him. Right? And that's called idolatry. So, look at, just a reminder, Jesus settled that he was loved. He settled at the age of 12. He was going to be about his father's business. He thought the reputation of his daddy was more important than anything else. He had a clear conscience. His conscience was so clear that he didn't feel like he was being a hypocrite when he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm, I'm that accurate in my representation. Yeah. This isn't negotiable, is it? No. Yeah. You, know. you don't get to decide, this, this doesn't apply to me, I don't really want to, I don't really want to deal with this. Yeah, you know? thank you. Let's drive it home. What's the purpose of a Greco-Roman biography? Why is that form of literature even created in, in Greek and Rome? Why? What's that? Yeah, to, pr- to push and present a role model. That's why, that's why Rome wrote that way. That's why the Greeks wrote biography. In Greek, it's called bioi, where we get our word biography. Okay, bioi. All right, Phil? Uh, I really enjoyed listening to people talk about uh, how to find their identity in Christ. And something I think about, because the Catholics practice this, Ash Wednesday happened, and uh, they're in a period of fasting for 40 days until Easter. You want to talk about a tool that God gives us to defeat temptation. Instead of trying to work to obtain something, give up something in your own life to find your identity in God. Yes. And so yeah. it's a, I'll admit, I don't practice it as much as I should. Sure. Um, but when I have fasted spiritually, it's been amazing to mm-hmm. see how God's corrected my life through that. Oh, absolutely. Of course, so corrections. Yeah. I want to challenge people. Thank you, Philip. Thank you very, very much. Jesus was so secure emotionally, he didn't have to force people to believe in him. Guess what, uh, Jet, you nailed it a minute ago. If I can settle up on who I am in Christ, once I do that, it frees me up to be the best friend, right? So, listen, Dave, what if we apply this to marriage? Because if you have, your esteem is based on your spouse, you're in trouble. You have a destabilized marriage. Yeah, always. There's always something, absolutely. Some form of inadequacy. Yeah. Totally, Daniel, go ahead. I was just going to add something. Um, this past week, I've been going back through Proverbs and reading through it, and a lot of the I've been through about the first 10. A lot of the ideas talk about is the importance of gaining wisdom and knowledge. 
Um, and it's just kind of, I'm just kind of looking at the Luke 2, 48, 52, just the idea of, of Jesus, I guess, I guess, submitting himself to his parents to, in, to increase in wisdom and knowledge. Yes. I feel like, to me, in a lot of ways, Jesus coming in human form is, I think it's comforting in that he can relate to our struggles and our experiences. Yes. And by him experiencing being raised through parenthood, he knows what that's like. He knows what it means to be raised by parents and to to gain the wisdom from that and the importance of that. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I don't know, to me that's just important in that Mm -hmm. we can, it's just another way of him showing that he's been through the experiences that we experience and we can relate to him as a savior having experienced what we Absolutely. Daniel, thank you. You just quoted a lot of scripture. That's Hebrews 4. We can run to the throne of grace and find help in, in time of mercy. So, um, I wanted you to see this, and I mean this with all my heart. If you can find someone better than Jesus Christ, someone who has a more pure love, a more intelligent social ethic, more humility, more courage, someone willing to die to fix what is broken in your heart, and then restore you to God at no cost to you, fine, follow them. Do it. That's your circus and your monkeys. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Please please believe, please dare to believe that when I tell you Christ's esteem changes everything, it really does. It changes everything. It'll transform a marriage. Uh, Sometimes, you know, sometimes we parents, sometimes we grandparents, let ourselves be defined by our kids, right? And if our kids are bad, we must be bad, right? If our grandkids are bad, we must be bad. Grandparents, you know, we can, we can even have esteem embedded in our own children, which can be dangerous business, right? Gives bragging rights to some folks, and it gives horrific humiliation to others. It's dangerous stuff. So I think the like this is interesting because like I read that and I talk to people about Christianity and I talk to people about <clears throat> why they aren't a Christian or what you know why they wouldn't accept you know faith and that sort of thing. And it's almost never, you know, they they love Jesus, they love the thought of having somebody who does that, but the association of Christians, like being a part of a toxic like culture and that's what they have in their head you know is that mm-hmm. it's a toxic mm-hmm. culture because of all of maybe the political or the whatever and like how do you you know how do you reconcile that that's the biggest thing for me is like you know when i'm talking to people who struggle with you know just the lack of a faith and you know whatever, or they have a certain sin that the culture, Christian culture doesn't accept, or mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, just these different things that they've been maybe socially outcast in their previous life, or mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever, they have this, you know, mindset that the Christian culture is filled with hypocrites who you know, are hateful because of you know, somebody is having premarital sex, or just, you know, whatever, right? And you know they you know it's kind of 
kind of ranting, but um, I just, I, you know, I had that conversation where I believe that I am showing somebody genuine love and trying to like coach them through life with what I believe is Christian morals, right? Even though they're not a Christian, and they, they, we have great conversations, and we're able to like reconcile these things, and they say, "Wow, this is great," and like I love this. And you know, you have that question, that crux question of, "Well, this is you're able to have that, and you're able to have life in Christ fully." And they say, "Well, I don't want that if I have to be associated with the people mm-hmm. with, with Christian church." Yeah, yeah. And that's so like. You know, that's like such a large thing that it obviously... It's a huge issue, isn't it? It's a huge issue that you're not going to be able to unpack in like 10 seconds. But, you know, I just like, that's something that I deal with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's hard, because you yeah. can say that, and it's like, yes, I want to, but also there's this huge baggage that yeah. when you accept yeah. Christ, you're now saying, like, all of your friends are going to judge yeah. you because you're yeah. associated with this church. Yeah, thank you. I just thank had you. to answer this question. <coughs> What's that? I mean, I had a week ago? Yeah. And my, my answer was, yep, that's true. It does not take away your individual responsibility. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, there's lots of comebacks, Gareth. I mean, seriously, there's a bucket full of comebacks that are really responsible. I mean, they really are. You know, there's hypocrites at Walmart. Therefore, I refuse to go to Walmart. You know, I mean, you can. I mean, there's a dozen ways to come at it, but you're right. Um, but how about this? What if we all committed? What if the folk at Christchurch right now committed that with a honestly a genuine, clear conscience, and and we're really serious about obedience, that we could gain enough confidence to say, "Look, you look at me, and I'm going to show you how it's done." Is that possible? <laughs> it certainly is, isn't it? Right? It's possible. But we're going to have to make the, the profound decision I choose to be about my father's <coughs> business. You know? And uh, Anna? You, yeah. um, so along with what you're saying, a lot of the things that, like, before I came here, like, I was Catholic, and one of my friends um, took his own <clears throat> life. And so a lot of people, like, judged it. So a lot of, like, the coming from the church, like, it was more of, oh, well, you can't do this because he did that. And, um, so a lot of like what you were saying when it comes to like I don't want to be associated with that. Um, I don't want to feel those kinds of things. I think a lot of it is they don't know what it really feels like to be loved the way they're supposed to be loved, and in a church that is the way that it's supposed to be. Because a lot of churches and a lot of other things, like after they would find out like why I left because the Catholic Church, which was because of that, and everyone was like, I don't know if you know the view of that, but everyone typically at a Catholic church says like that person is not going to heaven um, and he was one of like my best friends when we were younger and so when they would find out about that most churches they just kind of like lean away from oh well just like make sure you're distancing yourself from that and like for some reason like that family was now like you know bad or whatever when it wasn't that case but anyways but a lot of people haven't ever seen what it really looks like to be in a church that's like showing you like what the Bible says and what Jesus says and what um, like that actually looks like and what following God it's not all about 
you know, sacrificing this and not doing this and not doing that. But that's what most people have always heard. Mm-hmm. So I know before I came here, I always heard, oh, well, you can't do this. And you can't do this if you're going to be a Christian. And if you're going to be a Christian, you can't do that. And so it's like, do they really want to jump into this rule book of what you can and can't do when that's not really what it's about? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they see when they see someone, especially that's either fallen away from faith or never seen it. If they see the rules and they see the what you can't do, but they don't see what you get from it. Mm. Thank you, Anna. Anna. The Lord's doing a work of grace in your heart, isn't he? I can see it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, you and Daniel both. Thank you very much. Boy, we've hit a nerve, eh? We have hit a nerve, absolutely. This is it's kind of where we're living, isn't it? You're going to be about the business of yourself or the business of your father. Uh, ladies, what's going to make you beautiful? What's it going to be? What's going to really give you worth? Men, how about you? How thick your wallet is, your titles, your promotions at work, your career path? What makes you have dignity? What is it? For the Lord Jesus Christ, it was. He was going to be about the will of his father. The glory, the reputation of his father was more important than anything in his life. And he was simply here to say what dad would say and do what dad would do. Period. That's it. That's it. That's why I was here. And if we really could settle in on that, then guess what? A spouse doesn't have to be so threatening. Crazy teenagers don't have to be so threatening. A friend who was your super best friend like forever in the universe last <coughs> week and now won't even respond to your texts doesn't have to take the legs out from under you <clears throat> because you cannot reduce yourself down to that level. Would actually make us more like David. David, and when, and when you read Psalms, yes. David was, and because that—that's what I learned, got from David. Yes. David was always about, no matter when he was depressed, anxious, in a fight, he <clears throat> always went to the Lord. I trust you, no matter what. Yeah. And so, when you said that, it makes you think about if you're truly about our Father's business, it's like Lord in every situation. When it doesn't make sense, it's like, Lord, I trust you. Increase my trust. Lord, can, how can I get more of you in every situation? Yes. And, and that's when we have that desire. When we want Jesus more than anything in the world, more than life itself. Mm-hmm. When we want Jesus and Jesus is enough, it changes everything. Everything changes. And that's what I got from David. Yes. No matter what. Jesus yeah. is enough, no matter what he's going, no matter what battle he was facing, no yeah. matter when he sinned against God, against Bathsheba. He confessed all the time, Lord, check my heart. Lord, make sure that I'm in the right standing with you. Mm-hmm. Lord, check mm-hmm. my integrity. He was like at God's beckoning call in every aspect of his life. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how I want to be. Yes, yes. At God's beckoning call. Yes. No matter what the yes. circumstances are, absolutely, Lord, absolutely. I'm yours. No matter how I feel, think, yeah. or believe in myself, yeah. that He's enough. Yeah. Thank you, Cana. Thank you. Proud of you. It's good this morning. We've opened up the, the lid on a pretty big can. So, Jen, thank you for what you've shared. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to pray, and we're going to sing songs to the one who proved 
just what kind of worth we really have. Lord Jesus, let me pray. Abba, Father, thank you. Thank you for Cana, absolutely not ashamed of you and your word. Thank you for Jan, whose beauty is defined by you. Thank you for each person here. Gareth, who is doing his best to be the guy with a candle in a really dark room. Thank you for him, for Anna. God, would you please help us to be about your business and to define ourselves by you. In Jesus' name, amen.